you have your Bibles, you please turn to them to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Moving into a new section of Ephesians here. If you don't have a Bible, please use your screen or grab a Bible in the chair in front of you. We're on page 977 in the chair back Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3, our passage of study will be verses 1 through 7. This is God's holy, inerrant, and authoritative word to us this morning. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given me to me for you, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Let's pray. Make us to know your ways, O Lord, and teach us your paths. Lead us in the truth of your scriptures and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day long. In Christ's name, amen. This past week, this building was alive. All morning long, every day. There were lots of sleuths running around and trying to solve mysteries. It was a great time at Vacation Bible School as they learned about the parables of Jesus and his teaching about his kingdom. And the kids worked to solve different mysteries that were going on throughout the week. This whole stage was turned into this neat Scottish castle. You had to be there. It was a blast. Mysteries, the mysteries of these parables was what was being studied and what was being looked at. Today, we're going to look at a, a different kind of mystery we find here in our passage in Ephesians. These mysteries are not cases to be solved, but they're truths to be realized. They're important truths here in this passage for us. And so in Ephesians chapter 3 here, especially in the first 13 verses, Paul takes a turn in his theology, in his letter to the Ephesians, where he goes from talking about the great wonders and glories of the gospel, to here he's actually talking about himself and his own ministry. And he mentions here that he was in prison. Ephesians is known as one of the prison epistles. Paul wrote this from prison. And he is about to pray this wonderful and lofty and great prayer for the Ephesians, starting in verse 14. But before he does... He interrupts himself. He kind of has a parenthesis. Kind of has a little side thought, a little sidetrack that he wants to go on here. And what he's going to talk about here is the great mystery of the gospel. 
the great mystery of the gospel. The word mystery shows up three times in this passage. And so we know in the scriptures when a word is repeated, when a word is emphasized, it's of great importance. We must take note. The word mystery here, and I love the Greek word here. I just like saying it. I'm not trying to show you fancy Greek, but mysterion. Mysterion. It almost sounds like, ooh, mysterion. It's a very important word in the Bible, mysterion is. It can mean that it's a secret. It can mean that something puzzling. It can be something that was kind of dark and obscure and only known by a few. But the biblical definition for mystery, mysterion, is, is, is pretty different from our English understanding of the word. It, it can mean it's a secret, but it's fuller meaning is that a mysterion is no longer a secret now. It's now known. It's now been revealed. John Stott says this, Mysterion is a truth hitherto hidden from human knowledge or understanding, but now disclosed by the revelation of God. And so the biblical use of the word mystery, as, as it refers to the truths of God, is something that cannot be fully comprehended, something that cannot be fully understood by our finite minds without the help, without the aid of the Holy Spirit revealing this truth to us so that we can know it. But the great point is this. The gospel, this gospel that Paul has been preaching, that he's been proclaiming, that we have been studying for weeks and weeks The gospel is not a mystery. The gospel is not a mystery in the sense there are are no hidden meanings to be found in the gospel. There's no secret thing that we're to find in the gospel that is hidden from most people and that we have to go and solve what it means. What Paul is teaching here is that all that is needed for a relationship with God All that is needed to understand and to know salvation is now known and has been made known through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not a mystery. In Christ, God has revealed himself. He has made himself known. He has made the way of salvation known. And this is really important for us to grasp, really important for us to understand, especially in this day and age, where there are churches, there are different groups out there that would tell you things like, unless you speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. Or groups or churches that may say that unless you receive this second blessing of the Holy Spirit, then you're not a Christian. Or unless you join our particular brand of Christianity, You don't really get it. You're not a Christian. Those teachings and those sayings are out there. And brothers and sisters, I want to proclaim to you this morning, these are false. These are lies. They are not truths founded in Scripture. If you are in Christ, Paul says, he says it a hundred plus times. If you are in Christ, then you are a Christian. You are a child of God. You belong to God in Christ All are welcome to God. 
There are no secrets. There are no longer divisions or walls of hostility that he was proclaiming in Ephesians chapter 2. All who are in Christ, he says in verse 6, are members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so we must be aware. We must beware. We must know about these teachings that are contrary to what Scripture teaches. They are different gospels. They are trying to add to the Scriptures, and we must beware of this. But nevertheless, Paul does talk about a mystery here. What is the mystery that Paul desires for the Ephesian Christians to to know? And what are we to know about these mysteries? In this passage, we're going to learn about two mysteries, two types of mysteries. The mystery of Christ and the mystery of the church. The first is that the mystery of Christ. In verses 4 through 5, Paul refers to the general mystery that has been made known. It is the message of Christ. It is the gospel. It has all been proclaimed and revealed. Remember, remember what we just said a moment ago, that a mystery in the Bible is not a case we're trying to solve. There's not a hidden meaning that we're trying to uncover here. A mystery, according to the Scripture, is something that was previously hidden, but has now been made known by the revelation of God. And so here in these first few verses, Paul explains how this mystery of Christ was made known. It was made known to him. It was revealed to him, just like it was the other apostles and the prophets. The mystery was made known. It was revealed to Paul on the Damascus Road, was it not? I mean, it smacked him in the face. It knocked him down. It blinded him. God's truth was very powerful as it came upon him. And he made himself known. And he called Paul to be an apostle. And so the mystery of Christ is this. And he says, I've already written about it. You've already read it. I mean, imagine being in that Ephesian church when, hey, guys, we got a letter from Paul. (laughs) Everybody sit down. We're going to read it. We're going to talk about it. And they had already read. They had already studied. They had already talked about this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him we both, that is Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens. but You are fellow citizens with the saints and with members of the household of God. This is what he already taught in Ephesians chapter 2. This was great news. For the Ephesian pagans who were worshiping false gods and doing all matter of bad things. And now they read this good news that in Christ the mystery was revealed. God has brought everyone together in Christ. Paul proclaims it another way in Colossians to the letter to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2 he says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. To reach, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is hidden 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about this great mystery of Christ. Think about how it's been revealed. A baby born in a manger who is not just a mere baby. This baby was God. God in the flesh. The great I am. God incarnate. Two natures in one. Two natures mysteriously combined into one person. Jesus who is fully God and fully man. He's 100% both. This is the incarnation. The incarnation is, is God's glorious mystery. His glorious way in which he has brought salvation to mankind. God became man and he died so that we would not have to. This is the mystery of Christ. It was once hidden. It was once not fully known, but now it has been made known through his birth, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. Great is the mystery of Christ, now made known. This is not just a Christmas time thing to think about. Christ coming into the world is something to glory at and marvel at every day. Is the mystery of Christ amazing to you? Is it wonderful news to you? Do you ever spend time contemplating it, thinking about it, talking about it, praising God for it? Great is the mystery of Christ. If if you're like me, you don't do those things enough. Before we know it, the day is gone and we've spent little to no time thinking about the Lord, thinking about the wonder of Christ. Again, we can't just make the wonder of Christ, the mystery of Christ, a Christmas time thing or an Easter meditation only. It must be a daily thing. This is why it's so important for us to come together and to sing about this great mystery, to read about this great mystery, to sing about this great mystery, to proclaim this great mystery together because great is the mystery of Christ. It was because of this mystery, which is the gospel, Paul says, that he was a preacher that he was, in fact, a prisoner, and that he was made a minister of the gospel to preach and to herald, great is the mystery of God in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge of God. This was Paul's burden, to make it known. But much of the trouble of the church today, much of the troubles that is going on in the church today and and even in our own lives can be attributed to the fact that we have lost sight of the mystery of Christ. We have taken our eyes off of the gospel and all of its glory and we've put our hope and our trust in other things. When we take our eyes off of Christ, 
we lose our way. May it not be. May we never get tired of this mystery. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us never stop learning about Him, never stop singing about Him, never stop rejoicing over Him, because great is the mystery of Christ. The gospel, it's been revealed, it's been made known. Won't you come to Christ if you've never come to Him? That is the mystery of Christ that he says, I've spent two chapters writing to you about it. But the second mystery here that he wants to elaborate on further is the mystery of the church. That is the particular plan that God has for his people. The mystery of the church. Why is the church a mystery? Why was it, in a sense, hidden but now made known? Haven't we read that God's great plan was to bless the nations through Abraham? Wasn't Abraham and all of God's people supposed to be a blessing to the nations? Have we not read in Isaiah 2 this morning that, of course, all nations will come to the Messiah to worship Him and to praise Him? Well, in the Old Testament... What was not revealed, what was not fully known, and what was not expected is that God would do away with the theocracy. Israel would no longer be the the prized possession of Yahweh God only, where He would be their God and they would be His people. It was not expected that one day He would replace it with the church. All the nations who belong to Christ, an international community, the body of Christ where Jews and Gentiles are all one in Christ. That was and still is a radically new thing that God was doing. It was glorious. God was going to bring all together in Christ, in the church. This was his plan from the beginning. That he would unite all people in Christ, in the church. But there is a a form of teaching that I must caution you about this morning that basically says all of those Old Testament promises that God made to his people, those don't really apply to the church. That was just for Israel. God has a whole new set of of promises that is for his New Testament church. So really, as long as you pick up in Matthew chapter 1, you're good. (laughs) That form of teaching is called dispensationalism. We do not believe it here. We do not teach it here. And I I do just want to caution you that some of you may be reading study Bibles that, that teach this. And we need to be aware of this because... The Old Testament has great value for the church. The Old Testament promises to Abraham all of those wonderful covenants of grace that God was making with his people are all connected to the New Testament church. They all proclaim the mystery of Christ. 
They all point forward to the promises that would be fulfilled in Christ to the church. These promises are vital for our understanding of the great mystery of the church. And so when we read the scriptures, when we read those old stories, they absolutely apply to us today. They absolutely are promises that we can see for God's church today because they've all been fulfilled in Christ. In Christ, the old distinction between Jew and Gentile is now gone. We are all now one in Christ. We all now have fellowship with Him. Jew and Gentile, all people are now in fellowship with one another. He says, we are now fellow heirs. We're now fellow members and fellow partakers of the promises. We're all in the same household called the church. And so why does Paul want the Ephesians to understand this? Why is he taking them on this history lesson? Why is he kind of making this aside? I mean, can't we just kind of skip to some encouraging stuff? It is this. He wanted them to realize this. He wanted them to know this. He wanted them to know this so they would marvel and wonder at the sovereign grace of God in their salvation. You don't know how good you got it, right, until you know where you've been. Look at all that God has done in times past up until this point. Ephesus. Ephesus, Las Vegas had nothing on Ephesus, okay? (laughs) Or New Orleans, pick your favorite sin city. (laughs) Nothing. Compared to the, the pagan idolatry and licentiousness. And the gospel came to these people. They were pagans, they were lost, they were not Jewish, they had no hope without God in the world. Look at where God has brought you, he was saying. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Beyond all doubt, there is nothing which, I quite, is, nothing which is so quite comforting as this, so reassuring to faith, nothing which is so quite so exhilarating in which the Christian life can stand on. And that is to look back, to stand back and to contemplate and to understand in some measure God's great plan and scheme and purpose of redemption. That is what the apostle unfolds here to the Ephesians and through them unfolds it to us. So what? (laughs) So what? Why? Why should we care about this? Why should we study this? Why should we proclaim this this morning? It is this. Think about it. Think about the extraordinary way in which the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to us. Think about that. Think about how marvelous God's plan of redemption is for you. I mean, have you ever marveled at that? Do you realize we're gathered here today in a Christian church from a religion that started in a place in the world that's about as big of a, it's not even a, it's barely a dot on a map. 
on the other side of the world, Christ came to a people. He ordained apostles. And he said, take the gospel to the world. And so here we are today. Christ has come to us. The Ephesian Christians were to think about this. They were to realize that Paul, the guy who persecuted the church, the guy who made it his life's mission to stomp out the little Christ, he would be their pastor. He would be their missionary. He would be their spiritual father. He would be the one that would come to the church in Ephesus that were steeped in a pagan religion and would show them and would tell them or proclaim to them that they now can come to God through Christ because of the gospel. Think about that. What about you? How did the gospel come to you? Were you born into a Christian home? Isn't that amazing that you would be born into a Christian home? Were you lost? I mean lost, without hope and without God, dead in your sin, a past that you don't even want to talk about, (laughs) and you certainly don't want anybody to know about. How did the gospel come to you? Think about how God in his wondrous love and grace and mercy, saved a wretch like you. But maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking this morning, it hasn't come to me yet. Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. Then see the gospel. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all here today, every single one of us, because some extraordinary provision for salvation that God has made in our lives. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I will never forget 1998, 97, I already forgot. (laughs) Sitting in a room much like this on Mississippi State University where somebody invited me to come along and say, I want you to go to this this Bible study with me. And I think, that sounds like a good time, you know, my freshman year. And the pastor opened up the words of life, and he preached grace. And I heard it. It came to me. I believed. How did it come to you? Think about the extraordinary grace of God in Christ. How did it come to you? Think about this this morning. Before us is a meal that we celebrate in the Lord Jesus' church. Think about how extraordinary it is that God in Christ would invite us to a table that belongs to him. That he would invite us to a meal, a family meal, a table of grace, a celebration that says, 
you are no longer a stranger or an alien. You are no longer an uninvited guest. You are no longer an orphan. You are now more than a guest. You are now a child of God. You have been adopted by the master of the house. And he invites you to come and to share a meal at the family table. Where he proclaims what his one and only son has done for us. Think about it. Isn't that amazing? Oh, the wonders of the gospel. Oh, the great mystery of Christ. Oh, the beauty of the grace and the love and the mercy of God in Christ. Great is the mystery of Christ. Great is the mystery of the church. We now come and we fellowship with one another through the gospel at the table of the Lord. So let's eat. Let's celebrate. Let's pray. Father, let us not get used to the grace and the love and the mercy that you've shown in our lives. Let us not forget how the gospel came to us in some miraculous and wonderful way. Maybe it was through the church. Maybe it was through our parents. Maybe it was through a friend. Maybe it is even today. Lord, let us not get tired of these wonderful mysteries. That you, O Lord, in Christ Jesus, have given it all to us. All is now ours in him. And we are now one together. We are your church. Help us to love the King and Savior of the church. Help us to love the body of Christ, where people from all nations are being gathered to you. So Lord, help us this morning to celebrate that, to celebrate the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.